1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: welcome back it's the world soccer talk podcast the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on tv online and apps in episode 123, we feature an interview with NBC's executive producer about their Premier League coverage, Univision announces a name change and a strategic partnership with Televisa, TV winners and losers from Liverpool and Tottenham's Champions League miracle comebacks, plus letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section, as well as uh, Kartik's thoughts on the first week of uh, Open Cup streaming coverage from ESPN+. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and I'm joined, as always, by my co host, Kartik Krishnaya. Now, Kartik, we, we have to start with the UEFA Champions League. And um, before we go into talking about the coverage and kind of how we experience these games, probably in, in, in many different ways in terms of watching them on television, you have to think in, in some ways, Kartik, the, the, the strange thing about the UEFA Champions League is really when, I mean, it, it's obviously, it came from the European Cup and UEFA went ahead and thought, okay, how, how can we improve the European Cup? Let's change it from a, uh, a round-robin knockout competition. Let's make it into more of a group stage. Let's make it into more of an event. And 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 really, when you think about it, the UEFA Champions League was intended really to be a TV and, and, and uh, attendance vehicle for Europe that was going to be kind of the best teams from Europe competing in the European competition and I'm sure that at the time they thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe this, maybe people from overseas will be interested in this. Slowly but surely, maybe TV ratings would increase in, in different countries. Maybe maybe Asia, maybe Australia, maybe Africa, maybe America. Who knows? But th- the idea of this tournament was a European tournament. Here we go, Kartik. And in this past week, we've got the whole world watching these these tournaments. Uh, every kick of the ball, every game. It's it's a global event. This. Champions League, I mean, especially this past week, too, is probably the best semi-final series in the history of the UEFA Champions League, which says a lot because there's been some entertaining games over the years. But uh, I was just completely floored by how everyone around the world is so tuned into this competition, which is really supposed to be a European competition, but really has turned into a global event. What do you think, Kartik? Yeah, this might be the tipping
0: point that that propels um, the discussions of Europe, continental football, uh, continental competitions, uh, not necessarily continental domestic leagues. Everything, uh, the tipping point that pushes it past domestic leagues. I don't know if this increases the push... uh, 2024 for European Super League Um, I was at the Sport Decision Makers Conference in Miami uh, this week Uh, There was going to be one in London in two months uh, with uh, similar participants Uh, we heard from a number of people talking about 2024 and what's going to happen if they move European matches to the weekend uh, what that does to domestic leagues Um, it was a general sports conference I mean soccer was one soccer plus football was one component heard a lot about auto racing uh, and basketball uh, college sports in the U.S. but that was the um, one of the major dis- discussion points about about uh, this sport was 2024. Uh, what happens with Europe? Then, as the conference is ending, um, it, it was just incredible timing, and this shows you the power of, of European football. Um, you know, the power of Liverpool and Barcelona, but also just power of European competition. Uh, as the competition is ending, we're in, uh, as the excuse me, the conference is ending, Vine Aldum scores his first. So then everyone is frantically leaving the conference room trying to find the, this, this game. Then Alden scores a second. It's 3-3 on aggregate. Um, finally, the decision is made, just let's, let's connect a computer to a television uh, in the conference reception area. And everybody, even American sports executives, even uh, you know people who aren't soccer fans, it might be baseball or basketball or auto racing, they knew how important it was um, for the majority of people at this conference that were still around and we watch it, and we watch the magic of, uh, of uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Divock and, and, and that winner, and you could just feel the power of, uh, of Champions League. The next day, um, I'm uh, setting up a U.S. Open Cup match um, well, actually the next day, uh, having some meetings after the conference, a number of my British colleagues are Spurs fans. And, uh, they're desperate as they're flying out to London to find a way to watch a match, uh, watch the match. You know, I give them some tips. I think they all did get to see it. Uh, then I go to the Miami FC game, Chris, uh, us open cup match. I think a lot of our listeners probably know the result. It was a, a huge cup set, if you will, as just Neil Blackman, our friend termed it, um, biggest cup set of the first round of the U S open cup, according to him. Uh, But prior to the match, I'm I'm actually on the phone with you trying to get an update on the match, right? And I think, oh gosh, I'm not going to see this thing. Walk into um, the stadium, go up to my press box where I do my duties, money my duties, and lo and behold, computer up, phone's on, everyone's watching the match. I have to tell you, I do work at a lot of domestic football events um, on Saturdays and Sundays. And... The Premier League is big. Uh, There's no two ways about it. But I have not seen around events that I'm working or I'm attending, uh, even with general sports people, the kind of energy and enthusiasm and interest in matches that I saw the last two days uh, around Champions League. Now, part of it is that there are English clubs. Um, that we're making incredible comebacks and and incredible storylines. Part of it is that for whatever reason, um, be it my British colleagues, be it friends here in the United States, I'm around a lot of Spurs fans, a lot. I mean, I probably know more Spurs, actually hardcore Spurs fans than hardcore fans of any other club. But um, there was something just that even the Premier League domestic competitions, Bundesliga, La Liga, don't capture that happened the last two days that I saw, I witnessed. Ah, uh, powerful stuff! Great timing for Turner to have the rights.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, Turner, TNT are so lucky in terms of this. I mean, Fox for many, many years, I think, was always dreaming of of really kind of a whether it was an all Premier League matchup in the final or if it was a. Real Madrid against Barcelona, or, and oftentimes you could sense uh, uh, sense the emotion and kind of atmosphere dropping in the Fox Sports studio uh, during after the full-time whistle whenever, say, it was uh, maybe, I don't know, Bayern Munich had advanced to the final instead of, say, Manchester United or uh, Juventus had, had reached the final. There's nothing wrong with Juventus or Bayern Munich, but in terms of the fan base for those two clubs, just as as two examples, they're tiny compared to some of these other clubs from around the world, whether it's Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool, etc. Of course, last season's uh, uh, UEFA Champions League final between Real Madrid and Liverpool, that was one of the few times that uh, Fox Sports had the the good fortune of having two clubs with two massive uh, fan bases meeting each other in the final. And here we go with Turner Sports. In the very first season that they're doing the Champions League, for them, this has got to be one of the dream finals. I mean, you've got um, two teams, that, whether you know, obviously from England, but from a very Anglo-centric uh, fan base. So Liverpool with a huge supporters uh, base. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur with a rapidly growing fan base in the United States. And you've got these two clubs meeting in the final. Ob- obviously, uh, Univision, this is a big loss for them because on Tuesday... I had a chance to uh, attend a press conference, and there the, um, the, uh, the president of Univision Deportes was talking about how he was looking forward to the prospect of a Barcelona against Ajax final. And for them, that would have been perfect in terms of Barcelona with a huge Spanish-speaking audience interested in watching that match. And Ajax, I mean, the story with you the ties to Barcelona, uh, the story about Johan Cruyff, kind of the, the David and Goliath, that would have been a perfect final for them. The other thing I'll say at is that uh, this past week, these games, I mean, it's hopefully some of the listeners who are hardcore soccer fans had an opportunity to introduce uh, maybe general sports fans to these these games because I, I would think that anyone, no matter what fan, if you're a fan of NFL, baseball, you, no matter what sport it is, if they had an opportunity just to watch these two games this week uh, and just the, I mean, the sh- the, it was almost like a, uh, you couldn't make it up really. Hopefully they were hooked on soccer because these were two examples of great games. And it's not all about that—the English Premier League clubs going all the way through. I think it's just the storylines in terms of the way that these these uh, games played out uh, for the TV viewer. It was fantastic watching. I mean, in some ways, for Turner, uh, really, the the, the the game did the, the, the talking for them uh, for themselves. I mean, the games themselves stood so so. These are games we will always remember, probably for the rest of our lives, in terms of, do you remember back in, in 2019 these matches? Uh, and, and you, Kartik, luckily had a chance to uh, kind of enjoy this with other people. I was watching it from my home office, so I didn't get a chance to, other than my family just screaming and shouting, these were just incredible games to watch. And, uh, and for the sport of soccer, I think it's a huge plus. And for Turner Sports, this should be massive. Yeah, no doubt about that, and the other thing
0: that I think really came out of it is a bonding of casual American sports fans saying, my God, soccer can be this cool. Uh, At least I saw that, because again, I was at a Sports Decision Makers conference, a lot of people were saying that after Liverpool, Barcelona, and those are brands they know. Ajax and Spurs are not necessarily brands they know, but... um, just got a lot of feedback that wow this is this is tremendous, and, as I said, I was around a lot of Spurs fans, a lot of Spurs fans from the u k this week it's it's an odd thing, Chris, I think you and I have talked about this privately for whatever reason, so many of my colleagues, both in the u k and then in the u s and people we've worked with, people that we know here are Americans, younger Americans are Spurs fans it's just a, a kind of a, a recent uh, phenomenon where a lot of people have become fans of that club. But I was talking to one of the the long-term British Spurs fans that uh, hung around, didn't fly back to London yesterday, and came to the Miami FC game in the evening. And he said, you know, the, the worst part about this, about it being Liverpool, is that they're going to buy up all the tickets <laughs> to go get to Barcelona. Yeah. We're going to have to, like, I'm going to have to get back to London, to, you know, tomorrow, Thursday when we're recording this and, and get my ticket right away. Um... So, there's a genuine fear that um, Liverpool fans, because we know how they travel, but at the same time, I think for Spurs, this is uh, uh, Liverpool has had many magical European nights. Now, you could argue this is the greatest European night they've ever had, but they've had many magical European nights. They've been to eight or nine European Cup slash Champions League finals. Now, I think it's nine. Uh, They've been uh, uh, just at the top of the the heap in in, in football terms for, for generations. Spurs have not been, even though Funny thing, eight of the last ten seasons in the Premier League, Spurs have finished ahead of Liverpool in the table. I think most people don't know that, but... Um this is a, I think, a bigger occasion for their club. Yeah. This is this, this is a, a ma- once, once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. Right. I think they're going to they're going to get to Madrid. I think they're going to be fine in terms of um, uh, in terms of packing that place and and just creating uh, energy and excitement and just a one of a kind atmosphere um, in, in, for this Champions League final because and they know this is this is a one off for them and uh, in all likelihood and and it'll be tremendous and phew, it's incredible because uh, Pochettino is a manager I have. Uh, so much time for I think I mean we talk about Guardiola and, and Klopp and and all these you know elite managers, uh, but I, I just I think what he's done with the resources, uh, with the limitations, uh, just tremendous.
2: And TNT, I mean, what are the odds of Steve Nash being the person that's going to be? You mean that, that they hired Steve Nash? Obviously, they didn't know that Spurs were going to go all the way to the Champions League final, but just the good fortune that they have in terms of having somebody who is so ingratiated with the game, but also in terms of his career in basketball and being a Tottenham H- Hotspur supporter. For a lot of uh, kind of casual fans, like mainstream fans, that's going to pull them in, just seeing Steve Nash crying on set, just getting all emotional, uh, maybe even more emotional about this than maybe some of the, the basketball honors that he had won. And, and that's going to pull pe- people in there too. It, yeah. in, in terms of the coverage itself, uh, just a couple of things real fast is that... Um, Wednesday, I thought there was a lot of filler. I mean, they had an hour pre-game to talk about two teams. Um, there was a lot of filler in terms of they had the Champions cartoon series. They had the quick-fire questions, which I think is really silly. Like, do you think Ajax will win or, or Spurs will win? And there just seems to be a lot of filler there. Uh, on Tuesday, Kate Abdo, I'm not sure what she's thinking, but in the beginning of the game, right, right as the, the teams are coming out, and uh, as they're doing You'll Never Walk Alone, she's, she's talking all over it, all over it with Moadu back and forth. Moadu gets some, something stuck in his throat, he's coughing. It's just a really bad look. And, and actually, Stu Holden jumped in and said, uh, Yeah, I, I just want to hear You'll Never Walk Alone. And, and that, that shut up the entire uh, crew. Everyone uh, silenced themselves, and then you were able to hear maybe the last minute or so of You'll Never Walk Alone. Now, post match, they didn't make that same mistake, and to the credit, they fixed that. So, post match, uh, as the anthem started playing after the, after the full time whistle, they just sat back and, and let that uh, the song sing. And to me, I, I think I don't know. I'm not sure if Kate Abdo a little bit, almost like a l- little bit too talkative. Too, she's not focused enough on what's happening in front of her. And I thought she should know better in, in terms of that case. Uh, the Fernando Perez episodes uh, pregame is usually good. This one was a strange one. It was with the Liverpool fan Kevin Murphy, uh, who's famous for s- singing uh, one of the Liverpool songs. And uh, that was very surreal for anyone who watched that. That was kind of, uh, is this guy for real or is this uh, put on? I- I- I'm not sure. But o- overall, I mean, TNT, Turner Sports really lucked out on this one. And uh, I'm looking forward to the final, which is going to be on TNT. I got the confirmation. Uh, there were some question marks at the beginning of the season, whether the final would be on TBS or TNT. It is going to be on TNT, as well as the Europa League final, which will also be on TNT. Now, Karthik, uh, this past weekend, uh, the Premier League, I mean, talking about the Champions League um, and just, just the, the drama that we had there, obviously with the Premier League games this past weekend, uh, going down to the wire... With uh, both the Liverpool Newcastle game and then the Man City Leicester game on the, the Monday, and uh, of course Vincent Company's goal, uh, just just I mean I mean Monday was incredible. Tuesday was even better. Wednesday was through the roof um, for Premier League teams and Premier League viewing. It's been an extraordinary week. Yeah, it has been. I mean, I'll admit, though, I thought the best game, most dramatic game
0: of the weekend was actually Werder Bremen and Borussia Dortmund, uh, where it was back and forth. Dortmund took a 2-0 lead. They had to get all three points. Bremen had to get all three points. Dortmund's chasing the title. Bremen's chasing um, a European spot. And back and forth, open match. As it turns out, it was so open, both teams were so desperate, they got a draw. But it was it, it was a, one of those rare games where uh, a team playing for the title wasn't facing off against a team that was bunkered, right? That wasn't trying to, to win themselves. So um, as it turns out, it was just back and forth. Really good football. Um, the, the Manchester City match I did not see. Um, the Liverpool Newcastle match was uh, was interesting because I think this is this is just like the emotions about Liverpool, right, and people's views of Liverpool. So Favino dives to get the the, 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 the free, kick. Uh, free kick, which obviously Origi scored on. And you're hearing for two two days uh, on Twitter, soccer Twitter, even. From, you know, some people in the game, ah, oh, yeah, Liverpool are cheats, you know, the, uh, this and that. Then, um, you know, Manchester City wins because the company's a dramatic strike, and you're hearing, ah, uh, you know, too bad for Liverpool, but I think there's, like, a snarky satisfaction about it, right? <laughs> Most people like, yeah, they're not going to win the title. <laughs> um, but then... Tuesday happens and our entire kind of view and sympathy towards Liverpool got turned around. Klopp is so likable that uh, this is a huge factor working in Liverpool's favor, even among people who don't like Liverpool. And there are a lot of people. There are more people who don't like Liverpool than maybe any club in the world other than people who don't like Real Madrid. Um, and it was very, uh, it was interesting to see that change. And I have to say about Fabinho personally, I thought he was the best player on the pitch on Tuesday. Um, Maybe it's me, those people who know me know I really appreciate what number sixes and number eights do more than any other positions in football. And uh, I just thought, especially getting an early booking, he was brilliant. Um, The thing that was really kind of interesting to me, Chris, is how it is going to be interesting to me now, is coming into this week. How NBC, obviously they have title deciders um, only the second time on Championship Sunday in their six-year run that they've had. The title on the line. Uh, and ironically, the last time they had the title on the line, line their first year was these two clubs also, yep. Manchester City and Liverpool. Um, but I, I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say this. And, you know, feel free to, to comment and, and, and tweet at us or, or send in letters for next week's show. Uh, I just think the Premier League finish... He's kind of, uh, maybe we have to have come down from from the last two days. I just feel like it's overshadowed. I think we're all talking about June 1st in Madrid, a one-off match between Liverpool and Spurs, more than this title. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think think that's...
2: I think it's the other way. I I think it's a complete other way. I think in many ways, um, in terms of watching the matches on Saturday and and Sunday and Monday, of course, and Monday's Man City, that, that late goal... Just a brilliant goal. And then you have kind of at that point, you kind of think, well, at this point, as of Monday, it looks like Man City's probably going to win it. And, uh, you mean, we'll, we'll go ahead and win the, the Premier League title. After Tuesday, you start to think, okay, well, if Liverpool can do that, anything can happen. This was just kind of a, almost a miracle. And then Wednesday happens, and you think, okay, well, if Spurs can do that, I mean, anything is possible. And I think, in many ways, that this builds up the confidence. I mean, Liverpool winning on Tuesday, in a strange way, probably helped Spurs their self belief, their confidence. Saying, okay, going into Wednesday, thinking, okay, if Liverpool can do that against Barcelona, why can't we do that against Ajax? Why can't we go to Ajax and play that type of style where both teams were first to the ball so many times? They were just putting their bodies on the line. You could see that they were giving. I mean, 100%, every single player. And I think going into this Premier League weekend, uh, part of it's on the fans' self-belief, but on the the players' self-belief, I think it's anything is possible on any given day. And and after that first round, the first leg, when when Barcelona beat Liverpool 3-0, which I thought was kind of a misleading scoreline, I mean, Liverpool controlled that first half, is everyone thought that it was done and dusted. It's over. And I think going into this weekend... I think everyone's going to be watching this with a new set of eyes. They're thinking, okay, yes, Man City's probably going to win at Brighton. Uh, Liverpool probably are going to uh, beat Wolves, but Wolves is a very difficult team. They're a team that a lot of us have have appreciated all season. They've got an opportunity to to win that game, but anything is possible. And I think for the Premier League weekend on Sunday, the Championship Sunday, everyone goes into there thinking, you never know what's going to happen. And, And to me, actually, there's going to be even more interest, even more expectations that something might happen on Sunday and it might be that nothing happens it might be that Man City wins comfortably Brighton isn't a very good team and Liverpool does whatever against Wolves it doesn't really matter but uh, at the end of the day it's it's you mean it's it's going to get people more interested in, in these games I believe. Or they both might drop points. I'm
0: telling you, since Brighton had that stinker against Bournemouth a few weeks ago, they've been pretty good. Um, And Wolves, we know, particularly against top six sides, are are, are fairly good. So I I think one of them is going to drop points, maybe both, honestly. Especially given the law of averages, which is you can't keep winning matches the way both uh, – clubs have. Real quickly on the comeback for Liverpool, I'm not sure it was totally unexpected. I think people felt like Liverpool were wasteful in the first leg, but Dembele not finishing those chances at the end of the match to make it 4-0 or potentially 5-0 for Barcelona in the first leg, left the door open and let's not forget what happened last year. Uh, uh, and uh, You know, the... the, the, uh, absolutely famous uh, um, a commentary in that match by Peter Drury, the, the, the Barcelona-Roma match. Yeah. There were a lot of experts around football, including the likes of Gab Marcotti, saying, you know what, there's a good chance. And, I mean, when Marcotti first brought it up um, on ESPN FC, Dan Thomas said, oh, you're just being contrarian. He said, I'm not being contrarian. Happened last season. There was a, there was a pl- clearer template that um, that can be followed uh, uh, by, by Liverpool for, for, for how Roma, after losing the first leg 4-1 in Barcelona, and of course they had the away goal, which helped, uh, went home and beat them 3-0 and, and advanced. And and he was right. And there were other people saying that, that like, yeah, based on the first leg, the scoreline was a little misleading. Barcelona ended up being wasteful at the end. Maybe they can come back. Still, I think the thing that made it even more dramatic, Chris, was that... Okay, Irigi scores quickly. Right Henderson has that shot. It's it's 1-0 versus uh, Liverpool. At this point I'm just following it on the minute by minute. But um I'm also on Twitter and I'm in this sport decision makers conference. The thing that happened was Liverpool not getting a second goal the rest of the first half made people think oh yeah, it's done. Right. That that was really kind of what did it. same thing with Spurs, Spurs I had yeah. <laughs> Because coming into the day, like I said, I've been around Spurs fans all week. Coming into the to Wednesday, Spurs fans were very upbeat. We only we only we didn't play well. Um, we had th- these injuries. Um, it's now we're only down one nil. Soko is now fit, fully fit. He wasn't fully fit for the first leg. Um, yeah, I, we're going to go. We have an attacking formation, especially when the team sheet came out. We got Son, we've got, Sun, we've got Mar, Lucas Mora up top. We'll score a couple goals today, and we're only down 1 0. It was then the first half that, I, and I think I even told you, Chris, you know, like uh, I was in, in office, you know, these meetings, and then going to have to go to the Miami FC match. The plan was, oh, I'll dr- drive up at halftime. It was like after the second goal, it was like, I ah, get in the car now. And I think I, I gave you
2: a call. Right? Well, actually, yeah, actually, you called me at halftime of the Spurs yeah, Ajax yeah. game. And I said, Don't worry about it. Game's over. I said, The Spurs look absolutely horrible in this first half. They have no chance. Ajax completely controlled that first half. And it just goes to show, I mean, same thing with Liverpool Barcelona when they played the first leg, where Liverpool controlled the entire first half of that match in Barcelona at uh, the Camp Nou is is how dramatic these games can shift and turn and change in, in, se- in, in whether it's the second half or the first half. And um, that was in some ways why the Spurs-Ix game was even even more amazing, the comeback, because I think a, a lot of people have thought, OK, Spurs are out. There's no chance they're going to come back on this one. While with Liverpool, you knew that goals were going to come. It was just... We were just waiting for that Barcelona goal, that one Barcelona goal that would have won them the game, um, which would have made, it, made a huge difference. But it never came. It hit the post or there was good saves or blocks. Uh, or Virgil van Dijk just doing brilliant jobs in, in defense. What I will, one, one, one more thing about the Champions League, Kartic is the, the commentators. So the Ajax-Spurs game, we had uh, Guy Mowbray and Stuart Robson, and I thought uh, they did a good job there. Uh, the Liverpool-Barcelona game, Martin Tyler and Alan Smith. And Martin Tyler got a lot of criti- criticism on this one uh, in this game um, because oftentimes, and, and this has been going on for for years, but a lot of people, especially people that are used to more passionate uh, soccer commentators, so whether it's Latin American soccer t- commentators or, or others, think that Martin Tyler is too dry. He's just too dry, he's boring, he's just monotone. And, and I disagree with that completely. I think Martin Tyler, yes, he's old school in terms of his commentating style. But in this Liverpool-Barcelona game, he was very measured. As he went through the game, his usual uh, Martin Tyler self, I mean, usually um, adding in some, uh, I mean, some good, great commentary, nothing wrong with it. But when Liverpool started scoring those goals, and especially, I think, the second or third one, and the energy in that stadium had changed, the atmosphere had changed, had gone up several levels... He matched that level of energy and excitement and atmosphere blow by blow. And his, his timing in terms of his commentating, the words that he was uttering were perfect because it summed up the energy in the stadium, summed up what was happening on the pitch. And through the TV set, we felt that. Uh, I thought he did a fantastic job, and I thought that uh, his style is very much that type of style where it is kind of measured, measured, measured. And then when something amazing happens... The words he utters, it's, it's like pure poetry. I, I, I loved it, and I thought he did an incredible job.
0: Yeah, you know, there are a lot of people who um, uh, criticize this style of commentary, particularly here in the States, and, and uh, I, I'm really quite tired of having a match on and then a, a commentator scream. And this is a p- particularly true among American commentators, even more than you know, Latin commentators, as you mentioned, or, or some British commentators, uh, scream when there's an opportunity on goal or yeah. when there's, you know, some sort of chance. I mean, I've, I've tried. I commentate on the Miami FC matches and have for a few seasons now than previous to that Fort Lauderdale Strikers matches. I've tried to measure my tone, but I also realize it's an American audience mostly uh, and, um, and, and, and ha- have to inflect in a certain way. Martin Tyler's call on the Origi goal the fourth goal. I mean, obviously, Richie scored two match, uh, two yep. goals. The, the 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 winner was brilliant because he was measured. His tone. He had raised his tone slightly, but he didn't scream. Uh, scream! Oh my goodness, Liverpool! Mm-hmm. He didn't do that. Yeah. And what he did is he said very little. He had increased his tone and he let Anfield do the talking. Right. And it was brilliant. I mean, I, I loved it. I mean, it, 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 he did it after the second and third goals also, because that was when you felt that European night at Anfield, this is something special. And he, he said very little. Now he did raise his tone. I, I would disagree with those people who say, oh, he was monotone. Um, but um, he, the idea was to let the occasion which was a European night at Anfield, unlike maybe any other European night in the history of that ground, which has had some of the most famous European nights on record. Do the talking.
2: Yeah, and even in that first leg too, with that uh, obviously that the Messi free kick uh, for Barcelona in that first leg, um, his commentary was amazing in that one. In terms of, I think he he'd uh, he had compared uh, Messi to a god, and that we were witnessing a guard, a soccer god. On the field. And, and, and that was, so, so I think some people probably think that he's, he's kind of too pro English or too pro Premier League, when he's not. He's just a somebody that enjoys the game, no matter who's doing well. I mean, he, he's definitely going to give given the
0: credit. Although English, I have a point to pick with a lot of English uh, fans uh, this week. Uh, they're, they're, uh, and we should have done this last week, but I didn't, I'm sorry. Uh, Their uh, treatment of Gary Lineker, who is a former, former Barcelona player by the way, I yep. think that's often forgotten, thinking is well he was he, he's English, he's English national team player, he's face of so of so many years of BBC match of the day and other things. He should be pro Liverpool, he should be pro English. Um so Lineker reacted to that goal we've seen the outtake right of it. Um the way he reacted to it. He's a former Barcelona player and it's messy. So um yeah I can I, I think that there's The accusations of Premier League bias for Martin Tyler, I don't buy into at all. Uh, Similarly, I don't like the fact that some Premier League fans, and I think a lot of them are Premier League fans in the U.S. and in Australia and places that are not the U.K., who don't really know Gary Lineker, think that he should reflexively be biased towards an English club, especially against a club he played for. A club that he's connected to, a club that he still has a lot of sentiment for. If you listen to Gary Lineker talk about Barcelona and the meeting of that club, so uh, that was ridiculous to him. Just sorry, I there's, have to.
2: There's been so. a lot of that though. Even this week, Karthik, it. There was clips on uh, on Twitter. I think of uh, Rio Ferdinand uh, celebrating after uh, Spurs had won that late winner through Lucas Moura, uh, the, the late goal to, to win it on away goals, and him just like completely freaking out. Uh, Glenn Hoddle beside him. I guess it was the BT Sport coverage, um, but there's been a lot of focus on the commentators and analysts and the reaction in the studio. We had we had that too on TNT on uh, Wednesday, where we had uh, post match. They showed footage of um, Stu Holden running around the, the the set, celebrating, and of course uh, Steve Nash too, just celebrating. And Tim Howard kind of sitting at the desk, going like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe what I'm what I'm witnessing here." So there's been a lot of um, Feedback, criticism, uh, there's a lot of different takes on this, too, because like a lot of people say that uh, they shouldn't be doing that. They should be more reserved. They should be more neutral. And actually, one of the questions we have in the listener mailbag goes into that a little bit, too. Um, there's two sides to that one, but um, we'll, we'll get into that in the list, list of mailbag. One more thing, Kartik, before we head on to the next section, and that's Europa, Europa League. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, so the second leg of the, um, the semifinals will, be, will have been probably over by the time you listen to this podcast, but last week I watched the first legs, uh, the Frankfurt-Chelsea game, uh, and Valencia against Arsenal, and actually I watched the Frankfurt-Chelsea game more closely, and... Uh, Pre-match, though, pre-match for Europa League, uh, BR Live, uh, trying something completely different. Um, they've taken the three riders from Bleach Report and had them on set and just gave a, a pre-game. And it was so amateurish, so awful. A really, really bad look for for UEFA, too. I mean, if I'm UEFA, I'm, a broadcaster, I'm going, broadcaster, I'm looking at this thinking, okay, the Europa League is not the best competition in the world by any means. But in many ways, the way that BR Live has streamed it, has lowered the value of this tournament uh, in that there's no games on television except for the final, and the coverage has been horrible. Even with BR Live too, watching that Frankfurt against Chelsea game, uh, I have a a, a fiber connection, um, so I get one gigabit uh, megabits per second, and BR Live's horrible. I lost count the number of times it it freezed mid-game, and I had to refresh the browser uh, this is not just this one game this has been happening all season but just really really poor all across the board and uh, TNT and Turner Sports and Billy to Report Live has so much work to do to get this fixed for next season but uh, it's not a good look. All right Kartik let's move on to TV streaming news and so we've got some major news coming this week uh, from all different areas. Uh, actually, actually before we get to, get to that I always forgot Kartik Open Cup. So Open Cup yeah. this week uh, on ESPN Plus for the very first time. Uh, all the games available uh, in this round. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch the games, uh, but uh, what was your thoughts about the coverage that you saw?
0: Commentary is a mixed bag. I, I, I think that there are some very good commentators. There have been some very bad ones, too. Um uh, it was nice to have a little halftime intro at ESPN tape, John Champion and Taylor Tolman talking about the history of the competition. I thought they did a good job of, of uh, also showing that it was a historic competition. They kind of branded it similarly to the way we see the FA Cup, FA Package, FA Cup matches. Um, branded in, um, in in England. Uh, however, I mean, it, it's, it's actually being done by the production by the same company that does USL Productions based in Fort Lauderdale. So uh, it, it had a USL feel to the broadcast, which you know makes it more like the League Cup, right? Because the League Cup broadcasts are exactly the same as the Football League broadcasts. And if, if you watch a lot of the championship, the broadcasts are identical. Uh, and their talent is identical. And that, that was kind of the case here. Um, streaming issues... They were minimal, but for me they popped up at the wrong time. So um, popped up in the dramatic uh, extra time between Lakeland and the Villages match here in Florida um, between two 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 of the better teams in this state, and then uh, popped up in the penalty kick shootout between Red Bulls, uh, the Red Bulls youth team uh, under twenty three team, and. Uh, and FC Motown, who were the runners up in the NPSL national runners up last season, so uh, and and the penalty kicks were two two when um, it started to buffer for me, and by the time it got fixed, I saw a Red Bull players celebrating; they had won the penalty kicks. So those were just untimely, but nothing like the kind of buffering issues you've dealt with with Bleacher Report. I dealt with with Bleacher Report and other services. Um, I, um, I I also had a streaming experience this week with. Um, with Fox at Fox Sports Go on the uh, 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 Bayer Leverkusen Eintracht Frankfurt match, uh, which ended up being six uh, one, and and uh, uh, Leverkusen scored all six of those goals in the first half, so there was no need to stream it past past halftime. Uh, but with that, um, the FS one, uh, sorry, FS two stream was outstanding. Uh, the problem was, and I did not realize this for whatever reason, and maybe it's my settings, maybe it's Fox Sports Go, unless you are on Wi-Fi, uh, you can't stream it. So basically, the points when I was only on my phone uh, on 4G, I couldn't stream it. Then I got into a 5G area, it let me stream it, perfect stream, and then I got onto Wi-Fi, no problem, Six one at halftime, I'm, like, I'm not going to watch the rest of this, but... Um, that was interesting. I don't yeah. know if that's a Fox Sports Go feature or some sort of security feature. I inadvertently ad- activated just for Fox Sports Go because I don't have that with Bleacher Report, ESPN Plus, or NBC Sports Go. So
2: yeah, that's, that was interesting. That's, that's the first time I'm hearing about that. But, but listeners, if you've experienced the same thing or uh, have some uh, kind of uh, feedback or insight to share about that, let us know uh, in, in the listener mailbag section. Now, classic. let's move on to TV streaming news, big news. Yeah, so uh, I'm excited about this. This week ESPN uh, will be
0: showing a Sunday Serie A match between Roma and Juventus on uh, the big channel, on the big ESPN. Uh, Mark Donaldson and Matteo Bonetti will call the match live from Stadio Olimpico in Rome. Uh, It's only the second time an Italian league fixture has been on the main ESPN channel. So this is exciting. Unfortunately, the title is decided, but fourth is not. And just a little pro tip here, or I I try to think of myself as a pro. If you haven't watched Atalanta, who's currently sitting in fourth in Serie A, you're missing out. Uh, To me, uh, outside of uh, of maybe Ajax and and Liverpool, the best team to watch in Europe this season.
2: Yeah, and and Frankfurt, I would add to that too, as far as... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, they're on that list too. Yeah. So uh, on Tuesday, I had the pleasure to attend a Univision uh, press conference in Miami to learn more about the soccer programming developments. And, and boy, was I shocked. I, I wasn't expecting this at all. The big news is, is that Univision Deportes Network announced that their channel will be changing their name. To, uh, and the new name, the first, uh, first time I saw it, I thought, okay, what, how, do you, how do you pronounce this thing? So it, it's, the, the acronym is T-U-D-N, but the way you pronounce it is uh, Tu Duene, which is uh, the, the Spanish translation of kind of, uh, which is meant to be kind of your sports network. Uh, Deportes Sports Network, of course, network. So, uh, Tuduene, in a strategic alliance with Televisa, which is the largest media company in the Spanish-speaking world. So what this does is bring t- brings together the sports departments of Univision Deportes uh, and uh, Televisa for the first-ever binational sports network. So you're going to have coverage in analysts and commentators and shows... That uh, previously would have been on Televisa uh, are now going to be on the uh, TUDN or TUDN uh, um, available in the United States. So uh, what it's going to do is actually make Univision deportes uh, even bigger and better than what it was before. Uh, the other thing, too, there's a lot of details about this. There's a lot. It goes into a lot of. Um, a lot of details about, about all, the, all the, this big, massive change and when it's happening, et cetera. The other thing, too, is that uh, they have a, a streaming service that's going to be coming out, too, called uh, Tu Duene Extra. Uh, but head on over to the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com where it goes into a lot of detail about that. One more thing, is too, is that Univision Deportes has announced that it has, it has renewed the rights, the U.S. TV rights, to the Mexican national team through 2022. And Karthik, some more interesting news that happened uh, this past week. Yeah, so... um...
0: In an article in the Hollywood Reporter last week, Bundesliga CEO Robert Klein dropped a few hints about where the Bundesliga uh, might be going after this deal with Fox ends in, in May 2020. Uh, here's what he said. This is a direct quote. Uh, quote, we're the stakeholder of clubs, so certainly the money factor is a big one. Having said that, the growth of the brand and its penetration and presence is important. So you'll always have this balance between typically free-to-air paid uh, pay tv and let's say ott and digital it's usually a balance but you can also more and more in the market look at the right matrices and uh matrices and that that could deliver across all three and then when you have all the offers on the table you can make a decision and uh end quote now i'm not sure if Fox's decision to show the last two match days on Big Fox has something to do with that free-to-air uh, comment because that, I thought, was kind of interesting, that they are doing that after having shown no interest in showing a free-to-air matches this season with the exception of the, of the Dortmund-Bayern match, which was a huge match. Um, it, It may be that they are still trying to appeal to the Bundesliga, Chris, based on the fact that they do offer the opportunity uh, or offer the the, the vehicle to show matches free to air in the United States that probably no one else who bids on the rights will have.
2: Yeah, this is is huge. This is a a huge question mark because uh, to to me, I think with Fox, it, it was more about timing. So, for example, this coming weekend, if there was NASCAR on, that uh, all the Bundesliga games would be on pretty much on, on uh, FS2, except for the early Sunday morning game. I, th- I think it's more about timing. Is that usually uh, a few times a year uh, towards the end of the season they have some of the games on over-the-air television? Um, but but having said that, though, too, I mean the, this quote, this quote from um, the Bundesliga international CEO is dropping some hints. I mean, he's definitely saying, okay, we're we're going to look at all offers on the table. But you, if you're looking for somebody that has free-to-air access, pay-TV, t- uh, and/or uh, over-the-top, uh, you mean, kind of a, kind of a digital streaming package, I would look at ESPN for this. So you have now now whether ESPN is interested, uh, and whether the Bundesliga, well, the Bundesliga would, would be interested, but whether ESPN is interested in adding this on, uh, that's a whole di- different story. But free-to-air, ESPN technically has ABC. As an option, as as a free to air television, you mean uh, outlet? They haven't used that uh, for soccer in, in a long, long time since what the twenty fourteen World Cup or twenty ten, actually twenty ten World Cup, I think it was. So they have free to air, pay TV. Obviously, they have ESPN, ESPN two, OTT and digital. They've got ESPN plus. Uh, they've also got ESPN three. So ESPN represents one of the few companies that offers all of those together in one package that they could go to the Bundesliga. Now, I I don't think that um, ESPN would be interested in that unless there's a a bargain buy. Um, So I think in many ways, I don't know. We've talked about uh, many different ways that the Bundesliga, where it could go in the future. Maybe it does stick with Fox. Maybe they say, okay, Fox has free-to-air, yes, has pay TV with uh, FS1 and FS2, has OTT and digital with the uh, Fox Soccer Match Pass and the Fox Fox Sports To Go. Uh, Fox Sports Go apps, so it has that. But we've seen too, in terms of just the treatment that the Bundesliga gets from the Fox, which is really half-hearted. It is really it's used as filler content, so that's not a good fit either. Um, Yeah, but there's plenty of time to figure out uh, and look at those offers. But it's interesting to note that uh, the Bundesliga are in talks, and I'm sure they're shopping it around and trying to see which is the best uh, package for them. Now, in a related story to the Bundesliga, digital sports streaming service DAZN dropped some hints last week about how the company will be doing business in the United States, and the prospect maybe that they'll acquire some soccer rights in the future. DAZN president John Skipper said in an interview with Forbes magazine last week, we are trying to drive people to a year-long subscription. If you figure out a way to get people to buy for a year, you have 100% retention for the year. Also, DAZN is actively looking at acquiring more rights. John Skipper said uh, there will be the existing partners and possibly tech companies plus pure over-the-top over the um, uh, options. You will have at least one pure play over-the-top at the table, and that will be DAZN. So what Skipper is saying here is that uh, for any rights deal that comes up, so the Bundesliga, which is going to expire in May 2020, which is going to be the same month as La Liga expires, you can pretty much guarantee that Zone will have an offering uh, to La Liga and to the Bundesliga and, and other sports leagues as well, whatever's available, for a pure play, over-the-top subscription model. So if you're La Liga and you want to go ahead and get your La Liga or, or the Bundesliga into as many homes in the United States... Um, You're not going to get free to air through that deal, but you could get a a pure play over-the-top option where DAZN could stream all the games uh, available uh, via streaming. So, interesting times. Um, DAZN's definitely a player. Uh, The the whole idea of having a year-long subscription makes sense rather than month-to-month. And if you're somebody that loves La Liga uh, and the price point is good... Sure, go ahead and sign up for the whole year. Why not? Same thing with the Bundesliga. We know that a lot of people have signed up for the Fox Soccer Match Pass uh, for, for an entire year and, and watch all the games through there. Um, but yeah, so watch this space. One more last late breaking news item, and that is the news that Fubo TV will be launching a free ad supported version of their streaming service near the end of the year. It'll be interesting to see which channels are included in the offering. And they've also announced that they will be venturing into original programming too. So maybe we'll get a socket documentary or series out of them. Who knows? And Kartik, I'm not sure if you remember, but when we spoke to the, um, the CEO of Fubo TV, probably about three years ago now, maybe two years ago to three years ago, at that time he was talking about original programming, talking about doing documentaries, talking about doing some different shows that they were thinking of. Uh, that got tabled. That that never happened, but here we are, 2019, and looks like that might happen. Whether or not it's going to be soccer, we'll have to wait and see, but uh, another one, uh, something else to look forward to.
0: Uh, Chris, it was actually four years ago at Sportel oh. in Miami in 2015. Oh I remember it well, yeah. Time and price. I was I was one of the first Fubo uh, subscribers, or at least I was able to tell them, hey, I signed up to your service, and uh, it was great for me because I'm lo- I've been locked into that price for years, and, and it's just great to have been on board early.
2: When it comes to NBC's coverage of the Premier League, the first person you may think of is Rebecca Lowe, or Kyle Martino, or Ola White, or the two Robbies. But the main man behind the scenes that's responsible for leading the production of the Premier League on US TV is Pierre Moussa, who serves as coordinating producer for NBC Sports Group's coverage of the Premier League. Pierre was gracious enough this week to spare some of his valuable time, to discuss with us the coverage of the Premier League, as well as a preview of the coverage of Championship Sunday, here's that interview. But the first question I had was that um, we got a little bit, a little bit of a surprise on Monday when uh, NBC Sports had decided to feature the Brighton-Man City game as kind of the featured uh, game on NBC SN, while the Liverpool uh, Wolves game would be featured on NBC, which is obviously more prominent in terms of in, in more homes. Now this was Monday before we knew what happened on Tuesday in the Champions League and just everything that, that that happened in that game. What what was the thought process though? Kind of going back, rewinding back to Monday and before that, in in thinking about putting Liverpool against Wolves as as the the top game on Sunday.
1: I think the simple answer is, no matter what happens, the drama is going to be at Anfield, um, and and that was something we put a lot of thought into. Is that. Um, if City go up and 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 uh, they're leading the title race, the imagery and scenes at Anfield are going to be compelling. And if for some reason it's a draw at City and Liverpool up, the scenes are going to be compelling no matter what. So um, the bottom line editorially is the stories at Anfield, and this season is going to be remembered for one of the, the most competitive title races ever. And most likely what's going to happen um, is that City are going to win the title and Liverpool are going to finish second. And uh, I think the majority of people are going to remember the season for the incredible job and the fact that Liverpool finished second um, with 97 points and the imagery and scenes at Anfield are going to be um, so compelling for our audience. Uh, That was the main reason and and city being on the road at Brighton, um, uh, it just won't be nearly as compelling. So um, no matter what happens, the drama is going to be at Anfield and that was the main factor in it. And in fairness to all, all of our audience, every match is available. So, um, it's not like it's going to be difficult for anybody to be able to find the city match for that matter. Um, and the post-game goal zone show is going to be covered on, on both networks, SN and NBC. So from that standpoint, um, we're really just talking about a channel to be on versus anything else. And so bottom line is um, we truly believe that um, the imagery in Anfield will be the most compelling for our audiences.
2: And I completely understand that too, especially with the Amex Stadium, as beautiful as it is at Brighton, it is kind of more of a, an open, expansive stadium rather than Liverpool's Anfield, which is it really is a cauldron. But, but how much how much does TV ratings play into that? I mean, is is that something not not even just this game, but just all season long? How much of a factor is that in influencing production decisions or programming decisions? Well, programming decisions are really influenced by the fixtures, and we don't control that. So um,
1: the, the generally the way it works, and you know this quite well, um, is that Sky picks the fixtures or BT picks the fixtures, the Premier League then puts them out, and then that determines everything. And, and due to our NBC obligations, uh, we can't typically put a broadcast on NBC prior to 1230 um, on the weekends on Saturday and Sunday due to news and children obligations. So... Um, most of the time, uh, our, pro- our our programming plans are determined by the matches. So, ratings uh, obviously are very important, and it's it's what our business is based on. But the production decisions are very very little based on on um, on ratings because you, because you just don't really have a control of the programming. I mean, so pro- mm-hmm. programming decisions are very little determined um, by ratings because you just don't have control of it.
2: Now, this season has been, for the viewer, has been transformational in many ways for the coverage of the Premier League by NBC Sports uh, with the integration of more Sky Sports coverage as well as the acquisition of Clive Tilsley um, and the remarkable Premier League Fan Fest, um, which was, I, I think, the best one yet. How, how much more do you think that... Uh, how much more can you envision the bar being raised by NBC Sports? Like, it's got to be difficult, but can, can you envision... Uh, you mean in, in in subsequent seasons, the bar being raised even higher? Well, that's our responsibility to our
1: audiences to raise the bar each higher, e- higher each season. And and if you look over the course of the last six years, each year we're trying to improve um, our coverage. Each year we're trying to find different ways to um, help the the game grow in the United States. And each way, each year we're trying to find different ways for our Audience to consume the Premier League. And I'd even throw in there the, the Pick'em game, which a lot of people truly enjoy, or the YouTube series um, with the Low Down the Tactics session and uh, Inside the Mind. Any way we can give our audience another avenue to consume and appreciate the Premier League um, ultimately helps them um, become fans, become supporters, and, and helps grow the game. So to answer your, your question in short, that, that's our number one goal. Um, a lot of times we get the question of well, what's the plans for next year our philosophy has always been when we have an idea we're not going to wait till next year we're going to start it out we're going to do it immediately and hence the whether it's the Pick'em game starting on Boxing Day or the YouTube series developing over the, over, the, over the course of the year or the Fan Fest becoming one to two days the moment there's a really good idea we're not going to wait um, to implement it for the next year we want to uh, execute it immediately but uh, in short, um, that's that's our responsibility to our audience and to the, to, to the supporters of the Premier League and to the Premier League themselves um, to find different ways to con- complete, to continue to enhance our broadcast and enhance our offerings.
2: So the, the integration of Sky Sports into whether it's you know, Gary Neville and, and Jamie Carragher or, or we, we saw even just a recent kind of a Friday night football where it was the entire Sky Sports broadcast, but but, but definitely bits and pieces. And, and they've, they've, they've accentuated the broadcasts, whether it's Kelly Cade's post-match interviews, <clears throat> I mean, Jurgen Klopp on the pitch interviews, those types of things. Is that something you, you envision that we will see a little bit more of as each season goes along as you try to balance the... Uh, the best of NBC Sports with the best of Sky Sports? Absolutely.
1: We're one company and, and there's tremendous synergies between Sky and NBC and ultimately both, both audiences on both sides of the pond are going to benefit from it. Um, what you, you're not familiar with is Robbie Earl, Kyle, and, um, and, uh, and uh, Robbie Musto are doing two ways into Sky Sports news on the weekdays. So there's often ways it works both ways. in our And during the Transfer Deadline Day show, we simulcast their broadcast, and then we are also a big part of um, integrating into their broadcast with some hits as well. So um, ultimately the, what I'd say is if you're on this side of the pond in the United States, you get the best of both worlds. Um, we'll start off with the fact that you have our continued coverage plan and the access and resources we get as international broadcasters. And one of the biggest things is we have exposure to all the matches and we can show highlights from all the matches and we can, we can distribute all the matches where in England they're limited to just the ones that are on, that are picked um, by the TV broadcasters. So you get the international um, offerings that are, that are unique to um, being an international broadcaster. And then we also get the bonus of, of all the benefits of being a host broadcaster with Sky being on site um, and being able to take advantage of some of the access that only the, the host broadcaster gets. And that is sometimes the pitch side interviews or the access um, that Friday night football gets. So Um, especially starting next season, you're going to see a lot more synergies between the two broadcasts, and you're also going to see the U.S. audience benefiting even more from um, having Sky be a part of the the Comcast family.
2: The the Friday Night Football one a few weeks ago, was was that a one-off in terms of just scheduling and it being convenient to have the Friday Night Football from Sky Sports the the entire broadcast, or is that something (laughs) in the future we could see more of?
1: No, it, it, it was a one-time um, opportunity for us to really show off Sky's um, incredible Friday night
2: broadcast. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the Monday night football broadcast from Sky Sports, uh, which some people look at as kind of the, the kind of the pinnacle of, of uh, analysts um, or analysis, is is that something that could happen in the future in terms of whether it's scheduling or kind of taking that Monday night football feed and using that also.
1: We'll probably be integrating um, a lot of things they will be doing into our broadcast, and we're working very closely with Sky to figure out what works and what doesn't work. But we'll still be doing our own uh, bespoke um, NBC broadcast um, for all the Premier League coverage. And one of the things that, that we feel really um, uh, is important, especially is that um, our our group, especially our talent, have an uh, incredible connection with our audience and um, a connection with with how everybody uh, appreciates the Premier League over here, and what we don't want to do is lose that connection. There's plenty of um, things that Sky does that's incredible that appeals specifically to the English audience, and we want to make sure that the broadcast that we're doing is is, um, uh, tailored towards uh, an American audience.
2: Now, the addition of Clive Tilsley to the broadcast of Premier League matches, which, which I was... Uh, flabbergasted when he when he mentioned, I think on social media, that this was the very first time he had ever commentated a Premier League game uh, in, in in his long history as as a um, professional journalist, a professional broadcaster commentator, uh, having had the exclusive contract with ITV, and obviously ITV was doing mostly Champions League for many many years. But how did that process begin? I mean, how long ago did this, this discussions begin, and and how did you, um, you mean. Uh, Kind of find Clive Tiltley, or how did you kind of romance him uh, to convince him to go ahead and, and work for NBCSN doing some of these Premier League games?
1: Well, first of all, I had no idea. So when when I saw that tweet as well, I reached out to him I was like, "You got to be kidding me! You didn't even tell me this." So um, it, it is really remarkable, and he's called some of the most iconic moments in, in uh, football history. So to be able to to have him be a part of our broadcast is is uh, is fantastic. Um, I think the simple simple um, answer for you is that we're constantly looking at different ways um, how we can improve our broadcasts, and some may be simple and some may be more elaborate. And, uh, you know, Kyle, Clive and I had a little bit of communication in the fall, and he was very much a part of the, um, the Impossible Dream, the treble documentary that we did in Manchester United, and he was a key part of it. So when I went over to England, we ended up um, having a, I, I did the interview with him for that documentary, and then we sat down and had a, a lunch after that um, at his local, um, as they call it in England, his local, um, which is the local pub, and uh, and we chatted a little bit about it, and then when the opportunity kind of arrived, um, I reached out to him and thought asked if he'd be interested, and he was, and it and it's worked out brilliantly, because especially in the, the last. Um, month and a half or last six weeks, the title race has been so compelling and to be able to have the ability to, um, uh, have two announce, on-site announce teams to be able to cover Liverpool and City as well as the other matches we have to cover, whether it's the NBC matches, et cetera. Um, it's been worked out really well. So I think with everything we're doing, um, we're, we're constantly looking at, at, um, how we can, um, enhance our broadcast. But just to be clear, and, and so there's no qualms about it, Arlo is our lead commentator and he's our lead commentator. Um, for as long as as uh, as we uh, are working on the Premier League, and there's no plans to make any changes to our our on-air team. Um, we love Lee and Graham, and and obviously Rebecca, the two Robbies, and Kyle. Um, they're a fantastic team, uh, and I think it's it's a tribute to the fact that you know for the last six years there haven't really been any changes to the, the core team because they're so good and the chemistry is so good, and they truly are the best ambassadors for the Premier League. But as we um, reach a point where um, we can't all be in um, in the same place uh, at the same time, uh, or handily in, in two places at the same time, then it's important to be able to find the right people that can help um, uh, enhance our broadcast. And don't forget, Derek Ray was a part of it as well, um, and he did some um, extra commentary as well, and we've we worked with many different people. Steve Bauer as well. Um, Steve has uh, is, is, uh, um, got many more Premier League production responsibilities, so... Um, each year we're always looking at, at different people that can help enhance our broadcast and, and contribute to the team. And, and Clive was somebody who um, has made some contributions this season and, and been a fantastic addition.
2: Now, is that something that, that's kind of always in the back of your mind that you're, you're looking, looking out for, say, co-coms or you have a short list of co-coms that you want to uh, bring oh. in whenever available? And I'm thinking of, like, for example, we've seen some, some good work from I mean, Stephen Warnock, uh, Liam Osman, Phil Neville, uh, oftentimes when it is, say, specifically a, a, an NBC uh, commentating, uh, uh, you, you're pulling in the, the co-coms. Is, is that something you're always kind of looking at to see who's available, who's doing good work, to see who might be available in the future if, if there's an opportunity for a co-commentator?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say that we're not actively looking for more people to add. I think our group, I don't say, I, I won't take the word I think out, our group is exceptional. Um, but oftentimes we can't always be um, um, everywhere. And so when the time arises, you know, we look to see who might be able to contribute. And again, that goes back to my, the, your question about ratings and everything else. decision making. The, the fixtures determine a lot of the plan. And, you know, when the fixtures come out, you look at them and you figure out, okay, here's where we want to put the main core team, but we could have a potential here where we need to be in two places at once. How do we want to handle it? And that's, that's the, um, um, uh, that's always the challenge. So, uh, Ultimately, when those those arise, we then you know stay in touch with all the key people that are over in England, and uh, and that may be possible additions. And then then when we figure out what's the, what's the right fit for for our broadcast.
2: Now, since uh, this Premier League uh, contract or uh, between NBC Sports and, and the Premier League began, it's, it's now, I think we're in I think six years. It, it, it's 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 flown by. But have you personally seen? Um improvement in terms of just the working relationships between, say, NBC Sports and the Premier League, whether it's access, whether it's kind of just working more closely together, and, and also with the clubs themselves. I mean, Liverpool a perfect example in terms of uh, being well. It, uh, in addition to many, many clubs, being involved in the Premier League Fan Fest, definitely. I mean, the Fenway Sports Group and working closely with them. But have you seen kind of the the relationships? Uh, I mean, and not that they were bad at all, but but have you seen them evolve as time goes on, as as maybe your needs increase? And they see the opportunities to, to to get more coverage or to work closely together?
1: What I would say about that is is that our relationships, whether it's with the Premier League, the clubs, or Sky, or BT, that matter, have always been really, really strong. So from day one, they've been very strong. What I would say is that with every relationship, um, they become even stronger over the length of time. So... I wouldn't say that it's been, you know, you could say, oh, yeah, our relationship is much better. versus Our relationship has always been fantastic. Just the duration of, of that, and as we work closer together and we've, we've built um, different different activations, so the, the Premier League is, is is a co-production on the FanFest, and that's been such a great initiative that we work closely with them. For Liverpool, we've always had a very good relationship with them, but then be able to do the In the Shadow Cop series, which was over six weeks on multi-platforms, that's only made our relationship uh, even stronger. But I don't want to make it seem like our relationships weren't strong from the very beginning. Our relationships with all twenty clubs, with the Premier League itself, with Sky, with BT, has always been very strong, and that's paramount to the success of any relation, any any production, any broadcast. But especially with with uh, the Premier League, the relationship is so so important to us.
2: Absolutely. And uh, my last question, Pierre, is uh, out of all of the co- coverage that you've done this entire season, uh, is, there, is there one game or, or one weekend that for you was your proudest moment in terms of the, the production? Hmm. I, I think
1: all of us, uh, it's, it's like trying to pick your favorite kid. Um, I would say that we were all very, very proud of the most recent fan fest in Boston. And when I say what made us so, so proud, obviously it was – A fantastic scene and a fantastic broadcast, but I think it was also something that you could say that it it was something the culmination of six years of hard work have built up to be able to truly see what the growth of the Premier League has become and to see that many people in one place celebrating something so unique. Um, That was one of those, you kind of take a breath and go, wow. It, this is pretty special. I, I would say that that's less of a production and much more of a, you know, all the hard work that an entire company has done um, from marketing to social to digital to the production side of it to every aspect of the people in the company. That was a company wide initiative. Um, and, and again, the support for the Premier League has been a company wide initiative, but that was the culmination of. Six years of hard work by an entire company to see the 12,000 people dancing up and down and jumping after um, the late winter uh, at Anfield and, and just realizing how special a scene that was. That was one of those wow moments, and, you know, um, we hope there's plenty more of that, but that would be the one that I would kind of take away. of When you, when you finished that broadcast, you kind of sat down and said, did we really just throw a party with that many people celebrating the Premier League in Boston? I mean, that, that was pretty cool.
2: Absolutely. Actually, just one last question um, uh, before I forget: mm-hmm. Is this Sunday's championship Sunday, of course? And uh, from a production point of view, or from a, from the viewers' side of things, are are there anything in particular that uh, any uh, things to look forward to? That's uh, kind of uh, in addition to what we are accustomed to seeing. Whether it's overhead shots or whether I, I know there's the two hour pre match coverage, which which is going to be fantastic. But any, any other uh, secrets or anything you can share with us in terms of some of the uh, the things uh, you're looking forward to uh, to uh, broadcasting? Well, again, you know me well enough that I'm going to give you the boring
1: answer and say making sure that the coverage is as sound as possible for the viewer. One of the biggest things that we're going to focus on is how do we keep the audience at Anfield up to date with what's going on at Brighton and vice versa. So, There's be three ways we'll be doing that. One will be our announcers themselves will be updating with the scores, and then ultimately, Arlo and Clyde will be keeping people abreast of what the scores are and the significance of those scores. The second way is the top right corner. You're going to have the scores in the top right corner, so you you know exactly what's going on with all ten matches, not just just the the other one. But that will be constantly keeping you up to date. And then if there was a key event that happened. At a respective match, we would do um, a pitcher in pitcher, a double box kind of game break at the appropriate time when stoppage players happen, where Rebecca would show that key play and give you an update on how it affects the title race while never leaving the live seeds in the other box. So those are really, that's been really our biggest focus is how we keep everybody abreast of what's happening at the other matches, especially with such an important title race. So that's been the biggest focus. And then the pre-match show, we're going to do a, what we call a mega highlight. Um, which will break down the key fine margins in the title race, the back and forth, whether it's the Murray's side late goal or a late goal in this match that led to the to city took the lead or back and forth, whatever it is, throughout the season so really, people really know this seesaw title race battle um, and how we got to this point. And it's the goal line clearance that, that uh, was made, the key events that will make sure that they got us to this point so people really have significance of what's going to happen. Perfect. Of what of of what what got us this point, sure. uh, and that will set up what potential will happen on on Sunday.
2: Awesome, great. Well, thanks, Pierre. Thank you so much, and, and best of luck on Sunday. We've uh, we've been watching Promise Harmless every single hour of the broadcast for six years, so it's it's great stuff and great entertainment, and uh, hopefully, it's going to be uh, an exciting uh, finale on Sunday because it uh, could go so many different ways.
1: You know, we we've, we've been we've been. Um, spent the whole year just just hoping for it to go down to the final wire, wire um, and have the title decided on the final day. And now now I'm getting a little greedy and hoping that it'll go down to the final moments on, on Sunday. But um, it's been a phenomenal season. I think all of us are going to be really sad to, to see it end because it's been such an amazing, amazing title run. Um, and no matter what happens, um, Sunday's going to be up for There's going to be a lot of drama on Sunday.
2: All right, so TV ratings, we won't go into a lot of detail about this. We'll, we will have all of the numbers uh, within the next couple of days at worldsoccertalk.com. But just a, a few, a couple that I'll highlight, and, and Karthik, if there's any, any of these that jump out at you, feel free. Um, for last week's Barcelona-Liverpool game, so this is the one, the first leg on TNT, Univision, and Univision Deportes Network, 1.39 million people tuned into this one. Uh, the Spurs against Ajax game, again, the the first leg uh, at the um, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, that was one million viewers tuned in across TNT, Univision, and Univision Deporters Network. Um, this, so, well, let me see what else we got here, too. Um... This week's Liverpool Barcelona game, we don't have the Univision numbers yet, but this week the uh, the second leg of the semi final on TNT, six hundred and sixty five thousand viewers, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. Kartik, this is you mean three to five p.m. Eastern time, it's during office hours. This is you mean in lunchtime in California, but no matter where you live in the United States, I mean everyone works like crazy. These are some massive numbers for midweek games. Yeah, that's, that's a huge number, 665,000.
0: FS1 never got to that, uh, or even I think they, when they had matches on FX, they never quite got to uh, FX's distribution, more comparable to TNT's, uh, never quite had that number. I have to remind uh, people, TNT is a highly rated network, typically, and is in more homes, I think, than even the ESPN network, so... Uh, it's a really I uh, you know it's not a sports network and, and they're generally associated with NBA they don't show NFL they don't show a lot of the other sports that that, that people uh, uh, think about when they associate with sports networks ESPN Fox et cetera but um, for the for UEFA in this country it has given them a bigger platform uh, than Fox does for uh, these sorts of matches. Now, the final is a big question because you said it'll be on TNT. I think that's a good good call by them. But of course, the final was always on over the ear fox, so that's where we'll probably get another a really good metric. If that's comparable to the to the over the ear fox numbers from the previous seasons, and of course, you're going to have two English clubs, so that's a bit of an advantage. Then you have to say uh, for UEFA, this is this is really business well done because I think at this point, I'm not talking about the match coverage or you know the clunkiness of Bleacher. Report or, you know, the Fox pregame with Grant Wall, any of that. I'm just talking about pure numbers, pure exposure for UEFA, pure credibility. It's also more credible to be on Turner than to be on FS1, quite honestly, you know, just in the in the industry. So um, this is a big win for, for UEFA and for Champions League
2: yeah, so far. Yeah, absolutely. And it's even even bigger win for Univision because these a lot of these numbers, these big numbers that we're sharing uh, – I mean, more than 50% of those viewers are coming in through Univision or Univision Deportes Network. Uh, the coverage that they've had all season has been very consistent. Yes, the final is not going to be the two teams that they, they want in the final, but that will still generate big numbers there for Univision. Um, TNT is going to get an advantage there where they won't get as big as numbers as Univision, but at least they'll have a very Anglo-centric uh, final with the teams in there. So that'll help raise their numbers, hopefully, too. But uh, at the end of the day, I guess the winner is UEFA. UEFA wins big time in this one. Uh, and these numbers that, that we've been sharing throughout the entire season, overall, are much, much bigger than, than what the previous right cycle uh, was fr- through Fox Sports, where they had FS1, FS2, and uh, and also Fox Deportes. All right, let's the mailbag. First up is Herb. Uh, 6115. He says, regarding Yahoo Sports and the NWSL coverage, after seeing their coverage of the CONCACAF Champions League, if they're going to be the NWSL's prime provider, then the NWSL is in serious trouble, and um, not even the Women's World Cup can save them. I think it's time for U.S. soccer to learn from UEFA regarding Women's League soccer. This means that MLS is going to have to offer some financial assistance to the NWSL. Or more would need to have uh, their own women's teams. It would provide a lot of economic stability for many women's footballers in the U.S. Karthik, this is a topic that's been raised a few times this week in terms yeah. of NWSL and, you mean uh, the viability of this league, and uh, but also the TV coverage. In terms of this, is definitely a huge step down. Uh, it's it's in it's in a, a limbo stage where. Somebody needs to come in to really, I mean, there's the whole question mark about USSF and, and how involved they are with the U.S. women uh, in comparison to the U.S. men's teams. What's your take on all of this?
0: Yeah, so uh, first off, I was in the room uh, and was uh, reporting on, on Javier O'Callaghan's uh, comments earlier, uh, from FC Barcelona about NWSL. and. The interest that FC Barcelona has in their women's team and and placing a women's team in in NWSL, and also you know implications of Nike deals, et cetera. Um, And we saw a lot of uh, commentary about that after uh, my colleague Bob Williams wrote an article about it, and and I was tweeting from there. Uh, So I thought that was uh, that was an interesting uh, conversation starter. What you have to understand is their competing interests. First of all, I agree with Herb. I think uh, we need to see more commitment from MLS teams. We need to see more step up the way Portland has and and, and fund their women's team. Now, Orlando and Houston also have women's teams in NWSL, but I think they're kind of a redheaded stepchild, you know, know, the best stepchildren of of, of the men's team. You need to see a little more quality with that, the way we're seeing from the major European powers. Uh, That having been said... Um, you have to understand the competing interest here. There are a lot of people in women 's soccer in the United States who don 't necessarily want their clubs tied to men 's clubs, uh, partly because of the history of, of, of men 's clubs not uh, not being uh, uh, having an egalitarian approach towards women 's women 's football but also because um, Quite frankly, women's football has accomplished more in this country, women's soccer, than, than, than men's soccer. And um, you know, making it, putting it in a potentially subservient position to, to men's soccer, uh, the women's national team subservient to the men's national team, uh, women's uh, club soccer subservient to men's club soccer is not – um, necessarily the route you want to go on. And, and it's also very important to note that there are so many more major college women's programs in this, in this country than men's college soccer, major men's college soccer programs. So um, there are competing interests. I think what Herb is outlining is the way I would go, but there, the, I just outlined why there's a lot of pushback on doing, going in that direction. And also reluctance on, on MLS's part also has to be pointed out.
2: Uh, next up is Nick. Nick says, "To what extent can and should broadcasters make all of the content contents to which they own the rights to through dedicated subscription services? For example, Fox Soccer Match Pass, NBC Sports Gold, Premier League, etc. I'm thinking of two examples. He said, "At the top of the top end of the problem, I signed up for Fox Soccer Match Pass only to discover that it didn't include matches presented on Big Fox." which is not available over the air or through sling in my area, which obviously were the matches I most wanted to watch, I immediately cancelled. What's the point of having a subscription service if it excludes the best contents? What does Fox gain by doing that? Uh, at the trailing end of the problem, what do you think of rights holders not making some of the contents available at all? I'm a college football fan that spends a lot of time in Canada, and few, a few years back, ESPN had a dedicated package for those located in Canada, and another one for Europe that included all of their college football content. Then TSN bought cable uh, college football rights for Canada, but didn't stream them, making it impossible to watch those games legally. I'm, in, I'm assuming something similar must be happening in soccer, such as early phases of the FA Cup or the ESPN Plus. Uh, insofar as broadcasts are already produced for other markets, how much do the rights holders have to lose by just relaying those? I might be missing some variables, but knowing that you guys can enlighten me is the precise reason why I enjoy your podcast. Keep up the good work. Yeah, the, the Fox Soccer Match Pass um, issue is something that, uh, even when they had the Premier League uh, games, uh, way back when, before NBC acquired them, and, and uh, the Fox Soccer To Go would have the, the Premier League matches, and then you'd have some of the games on um, Fox Soccer Channel, or FS1 as it later became. Uh, you'd have some games on on Big Fox, maybe, or maybe it was the FA Cup. FA Cup's an even better example. We'd have FA Cup games, maybe as Man United against West Ham in a semifinal, uh, and you'd have that on Big Fox, but you couldn't get that on your Fox Soccer To Go, which became Fox Soccer Match Pass later on. Even though you're paying for Fox Soccer Match Pass, some of it, I guess some of it is um, that they want to try to get people that uh, to watch that game on television as much as possible to bump up those numbers, and those are going to be the bigger numbers and those are the numbers that they're trying to achieve so that they can um, you mean in terms of working with advertisers and say hey look at all the the millions of people or over a million people watching these games." Uh, and then the subscription streaming package is almost like a redheaded stepchild in many ways for some of these broadcasters, where uh, they're n- it doesn't get as much of the uh, attention or love that it should get. And those are more the diehard fans. Um, a- a- any thoughts on this, Kartik? Any, any uh, enlightenments that you can give to Nick as far as why things work the way that they do?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're just these different strange contractual agreements, and a lot of them were were, were signed before others. So, uh, you know, the, the idea of digital rights weren't necessarily thrown in them. With college football in particular, um, there is an issue, and this came up at the Sport Decision Makers Conference. We had Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-10, speaking there. Uh, excuse me, Pac-12. I I'm still not used to it. It used to be the Pac-10. Um, been the Pac-12 for like a decade now. But, um there are some college conferences that signed long-term deals with ESPN or Fox uh, you know, way back when, 10, 12, 14-year deals, uh, and, and this is you're seeing out of it the launch of the ACC network this summer. The SEC network uh, is an ESPN property that launched a few years ago. The Big Ten network is a Fox property, but essentially they didn't have some of these components of digital rights, international rights, things that, that might be, uh, important in, uh, um, in these contracts so it's it's a it's a slippery slope i think we'll see more kind of uniformity in the next round of of negotiations but the the industry is moving so quickly which is another theme at this conference i was at that uh, we could be sitting in 2024 saying gosh when these new deals were signed in 2020 they didn't think of this or they didn't think of that so um it's not like traditional you know in the past you would traditionally negotiate with a broadcaster and that was kind of that um, yeah. And you would have international rights or you wouldn't have international rights. You, would have, uh, you wouldn't think about other languages. You wouldn't think about all these other components, uh, streaming, uh, OTT services that now are in the space.
2: Yeah, plus the other thing, too, is right now in this moment in time and, and in the previous years, uh, most of the money that broadcasters could generate was from the television side of things. And the streaming side was, yes, you mean kind of giving it to some of the fans who want that streaming side but that's not what they wanted because they don't—they they didn't want people cutting the cord uh, and losing all those subscription fees from the, the different uh, TV networks and and being on the different uh, TV platforms and having everyone go to streaming. Those those times are changing, like you said, Kartik. Things are changing in an industry and. Um, the streaming side is becoming uh, more popular, and uh, there's ways to generate a lot of revenue on that side, as we've seen from ESPN+. Plus, even though they're losing money in terms of I mean, the amount of money they're spending on the rights, uh, they're gaining tons of subscribers, over 2 million subscribers. Eventually, the long-term effect of ESPN+, Plus is that's going to be a money-making operation. They're planning for the future. A lot of TV networks right now are not doing the same thing. They're, they're kind of holding on to the TV, hoping that uh, they can continue to milk that cow for as long as they can um, before they get to a point where they have to uh, focus more on the streaming side. Alex says, uh, I'm looking at cord- uh, Cutting the Cord and then going with Fubo TV or Hulu Live or YouTube TV for my services, i like to hear an updated thoughts on your streaming experiences. So Alex, for me, Hulu Live and YouTube TV both are great streaming services, but the number one reason that I, I don't use those, uh, either of those two, is because they don't have B in sports. Fubo TV, I can say 100% of the... Uh, I, I use that daily. I'm, I'm using that for... Pretty much all, most of my soccer coverage I'm watching, so from the TNT, the Fox Sports, FS1s, the NBCSNs, et cetera. And then I have Sling TV, Sling Orange, to watch the, the ESPN games. So that's the way I, I look at things. For me, Fubo TV has been consistent. The quality's been great. Uh, they keep on adding new channels, and I've had no problems. Um, what about you, Karthik? What's, what's been your experience? What, what, what's your uh, uh, streaming service of choice these days?
0: Well, I mean, I have Fubo, I have ESPN Plus, I have Bleacher Report Live, I have all of these. Uh, uh, Amazon Prime is generally my my, my uh, of uh, uh, my streaming uh, service of. of Choice, but they don't necessarily have a lot of uh, live programming yet. Uh, that's that's changing, but yeah, I mean, I think they're all, all they're all good. They're different, varying uh, levels of reliability. But when you're talking about Hulu, uh, Fubo, YouTube TV, those in three three in particular, there's not much to separate them. They're all very good uh, in terms of. And I think um, for YouTube TV and for Hulu in particular, they wanted to get the technology right before they went live and it wasn't just on demand um, or archived uh, videos that they, were, that they let you stream so um, I think they've, they've done a good job. I'm looking forward to Disney Plus that's going to be uh, uh, launched in, in the very, very near future
2: Yep Tim Keane says, I've watched the games for the past two weeks and have enjoyed all of the commentators in the Champions League except Guy Mowbray. To to, to me, he seems like a cheerleader for Ajax, and I was really surprised that he does not take any semblance of the normal neutral that we have to come to expect. He was saved by Stuart Robson, and the after-game show seemed uh, on TNT to lack uh, professionalism. Analysts should not let their uh, team favorites take over. It just seemed ridiculous to me. And, and, Tim, going back to the first segment on the show, there's there's two completely different takes on this. Um, I'm okay with Steve Nash. We know that he's a Spurs fan. Uh sometimes it gets a little bit too much where it's like, okay. we know you're a Spurs fan, but you're on the show not because you're a Spurs fan, but because you're supposed to add some uh, objective analysis or so, some observations. Um, but but you can't hold, you can't prevent him from celebrating and get emotional about Spurs going all the way to the Champions League final. Um, yeah, it depends. I mean, it's... Uh, Guy Mowbray, I know, has gotten a lot of criticism. Uh, Stuart Robson is definitely more down the middle of, uh, in terms of his balance. Guy Mowbray, most of it, the work he does is for Match of the Day, doing um, the Premier League week in, week out. So he probably doesn't realize uh, to the global audience how he sounds very pro-English um, that, that he is. But um, I don't think that's on purpose. I think it's just he's do, just doing it naturally. And that's what we get from that sometimes. Uh, two more quick n- items in our listener mailbag section. Chris Hardy says, "I wanted to ask you, and you don't have to wait till the show. You told me to avoid uh, to, to avoid the Daily Mail and the Daily Mirror, but was that just for transfer news or in general? I find that uh, the Daily Mail uh, interesting stuff. Uh, plus, they had the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to United breaking news. Plus, they have other good stuff. That's not transfers. Thanks again. Have a great weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely." In terms of just transfer rumors, player to player, for player from here to there, um, both the Daily Mail and the Daily Mirror are not the worst offenders. Uh, they get a lot of stuff wrong, they get they get some things right, um, but it's, it's clickbait. They're just generating story after story, any little bit of information or any bit of rumor. Uh, I, I would recommend The Guardian or BBC in terms of more objective analysis and, and discussion, but it depends what you want. And yes, The Daily Mail has some good articles now and again. Uh, the Daily Mirror sometimes has some good articles, but just my take on that. Anthony Bellow says, hi guys, I have a question about Championship Sunday. With me living in an area an area not serviced by a NBC regional sports network, will I still be able to stream the Crystal Palace Bournemouth match on the NBC Sports app or MISOL. So for those that don't know, uh, this Sunday, Championship Sunday, all of the games will be live across all of the NBC networks, including the NBC Regional Sports Network for the Crystal Palace Bournemouth game, which isn't available everywhere. Um, I don't think it's available in Florida, Karthik, where we are. But, but if you do want to watch that match, all of the games, no matter what, what channel you, you want to watch the games on, but all of the games will be available on NBCSports.com. At uh, 10 a.m. on Eastern on on Sunday, so you can still watch it through the main website if you want to watch it through there. All right, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com/slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Karthik, heading into... Well, what could be a historic weekend for Manchester City? A chance to win the double, uh, potentially a chance to win the uh, the, the treble if uh, if, treble. if, if it, domestic if treble, got, yeah, yeah, the domestic one, uh, as well as so much other sports and soccer from around the world. What should they do? Enjoy your football.